Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Second Rail Education Podcast. My name is John Heinz. I am here with an old friend, Adolfo Luna, who is something of an education daredevil. So this fortnight, we're going to have a conversation about international education mostly, although also education in the United States and in Chicago in particular. We're going to find out a little bit about Adolfo's background and about some of the unique perspectives that he brings to how learning happens and how it's integrated with life. So Adolfo. Yes. Welcome to the podcast. So happy to be here. (laughs) I usually start by asking a little bit about background. So tell me a little bit about your education background. Sure. Well, actually, so it's funny because I was talking about it with a friend that's visiting me right now. And um, I grew up in Chicago, born and raised in an area called Logan Square, which, you know, is in the city. And apparently I've been learning in adulthood that that's not very common for kids to grow up in cities. So I consider myself very privileged from an educational standpoint because I went to a decent school in Chicago, Northside College Prep, uh, which was a pretty forward-thinking high school. So there was an interactive maths uh, program. Uh, There were these extracurricular activities called colloquium, in which we would, once a week, have a half day of school in which we dedicated uh, our time to real-life skills. Mm -hmm. So you could choose something like going to the produce, or like to the grocery store and picking out fresh produce. Mm -hmm. Or you could have taken a sewing class or you could have done any number of other things that are really not based in any sort of curriculum or mm-hmm. any evaluation yeah um, so that was high school great experience overall that actually offered up an opportunity to study in germany as well for an exchange program and i would say that that's kind of where the educational daredevil all right so let's talk <laughs> a little bit about that awakened. so you so you, you you went to high school and college and start in in illinois yeah and worked your way to germany so talk about that how did you pick yeah, germany okay so i had this exchange program in which i went to hamburg which is a sister city of chicago for a couple of weeks in the summer and the um, i had this german student that also came and stayed with me for two weeks and my family mm-hmm. and how old were you when you were doing uh this? 16, maybe. Okay. Yeah. This is high school. Yeah. High school. High school. And I absolutely fell in love with the experience, just seeing how other people lived. And uh, we actually obviously stayed in and sat in on some of their classes as well. And so it was just really interesting, even though I couldn't really understand any of it, mm-hmm. to see how how the teachers interacted with the students, like the family lives that people had outside of the system, how even though they were quite separate, that they were really closely linked Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I can elaborate well on that, but it was very clear that... It was short, though. This was a sh- pretty short amount of yeah, time. Yeah, that was a short program. It was about, like, three weeks, I would say. Mm-hmm. But a very um, impactful, impactful one, though, mm-hmm. to say the least. And so I just, for some reason, felt the need to go back or to kind of explore what was all that positivity that I was feeling. Sure. So I studied German, or I carried it onto my college career and so i stayed in chicago at uic as well there were a number of good programs here to choose from i wasn't really sure what i wanted to do but i ended up going with biology because i've always been interested in life sciences and then slowly actually i kind of started to realize like oh the german and the biology areas could somehow melt so germany is actually one of the biggest countries when it comes to biotech firms and research that's being done so Mm -hmm. Towards the end of my college career, 
there was another opportunity that came up in which I could go and do a fellowship in Germany in the field of biotech. So I applied, got in, did that. And that was in Hamburg. And that was in Hamburg, yeah. Okay, and you were there for how long? That was a year. Okay. All right. And what was learning like there? Was it a fellowship that was both in, an, in a school and in a business or was it entirely in like it a was business both. climate? Yeah, it was both. So there was a part in which we just tried to familiarize ourselves with the curriculum that's being taught in that specific area. There were, I think, 75 participants in this program mm-hmm. and it was full gambit. I mean, there were people that went to study baking. There mm-hmm. were people that went to study Brewing, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. obviously. Was the program in English? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, okay. Well, no. So, so it depends. It depends on the um, level of German that people went into the program okay. with. So, so they catered to the students, right? Yeah, exactly. Fellows. So I went in with an intermediate level of German. So all the courses that I went to were in German, and it's basically like a, a evaluating a course. Okay. Um, and you came out of it with credits, university credits, or you came out of it with a certificate or a certification, or you Both, came out with yeah. job opportunities. What do you really? What was the what was the goal of the program? <laughs> well, it's so I think it's actually a, like a diplomatic program that's supposed to create an opportunity for there to be an exchange between young professionals internationally. Internationally, exactly. So there were a number of Germans that also came that same year to America and then were placed strategically throughout the nation. And then similarly, that's what they did with us. So we had like a, it's called an Patenabgeordneter, which is like a, some representative in their house that we would be partnered with. Is it like an ambassador? Is it like an ambassadorship or a, like being kind a diplomatic of, relationship? Yeah, but it's like kind of way more below the surface than that. I don't right. think there were any outward expectations. It was just more like be an American. Cultural exchange. <laughs> Learn what, you know, they've got to offer. So there weren't a lot of hard metrics about no, like no, achievement no. outcomes that no. had to be that had to be accomplished. It was more like learn the culture, yeah. connect with people, build the relationships. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. All right, so you did that for a year. Yes. Then what? Well, so that's actually interesting because probably the next step after that shifted roles for me. After Germany, I realized, oh, my God, I don't want to do anything in biology. So <laughs> I came back, and I was looking at my options. I had this – at that point, I had graduated with both a uh, bachelor's in biology and in Germanic studies. And there weren't a lot of options. So actually, but one thing that did come up in like a Google search was teaching in English. When uh, you say options, you mean options for work at that point. For options were, for work, You were on yeah, the job exactly. Yeah, okay, okay. All right. Again. There was an ad I saw somewhere that was for teaching English in Korea. Mm-hmm. So I went to Korea in 2012. So what was the appeal of that? English. You were was that liter- so you you're you're characterizing that as something of a economic choice like you were looking for jobs in your field but didn't find them so you did that. Is that what happened or is it was it more just you wanted to get over there and do something different? More uh, international I travel. I think it was all of the above. Okay. I generally like to experience new things. I consider myself a lifelong learner and Right. I thought what a great opportunity to okay. learn about. All right, so where did you go? Drastically different culture. So I went to Jeonju. Well, there was like this training in Seoul for a couple of weeks. And then once I passed that, then I was sent off to Jeonju, which is the fifth largest city in South Korea. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's like, it's very developed, high population density, but still also very close to rural and agricultural settings. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting experience because I learned a lot more about the educational system 
there obviously as an outsider, not as somebody partaking in it. Different in the sense of how they, are, are you talking about broad societal things or are you talking about how schools are run or learning institutions <laughs> are run? Both. I mean, it's like it, one of the things that they impar imparted uh, on us in the training was that the our main responsibility as Westerners coming in to teach them English was to teach them critical thinking because they are based on a Confucian system as most Asian countries are. And if you were to ask a student, like, tell me which, what you want to be when you grow up and why you want to be that, mm -hmm. it's like so often their answer is really formulated around the expectations that they've received from their parents or what societally they've been told mm -hmm. is a prestigious position or a career. This is a sweeping generalization. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, it largely it's really difficult for people to kind of come to those things on their own. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Asia has a huge population, and it's making it very difficult for people to have the upward mobility that we have in other countries, I would say. That's why you're saying that value of teacher of students when you ask them what they want to do, for example. Yeah. They're more likely going to tell you they want to be an economist or a scientist because of expectations of the family because of that competition? Yeah. Yes and no. Um, well, so that definitely plays a role in it because there's obviously this huge pressure that if you are going to be person X and you're going to want to make this much money a year, then you really need to get into a, good, a great school. And they're applying for U.S. Or and European so that's universities. The thing. So I think in the last couple of decades that the perspective has kind of shifted on that. So people now see an opportunity in studying abroad and getting their secondary degrees abroad and then coming back into Korea or where else in Asia. As opposed to just immigrating. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's both there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the trend, the trend has been yes, exactly. in that direction. Yeah. So, okay. So, so how is that different? How is that different from your experience of education in the U.S.? Well, I definitely feel like growing up in the U.S., there was more freedom, I think, to express yourself as you are. I identify as a Latino, gay, male, and where you would think that would be such a source of contention for people or for bullying or whatever else, it really wasn't. And I never, ever felt growing up in a metropolitan area that that was ever a disadvantage. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And... That is definitely something that would have been a problem in Korea. <laughs> mm -hmm. And in Germany, too. It would have been a problem or would not have been a problem in Germany? It would not have been a problem there, right. um, from what I experienced. I mean, and actually, I was even out when I went for my three weeks there. And right. And was welcomed with open arms. So, right. so when well, let's talk about that a little bit. Talk about the interface of gayness and your experience educationally. Mm. Like, do you, What impacts do you think it's had on who you've been or what choices you've made? Well, yeah, so that's interesting because then actually to go a step further, then there was this time that I, um, so after Korea, I went, I, I, <laughs> there were a number of like personal reasons why this happened, uh, but I actually decided to pursue my lifelong passion <laughs> of mm -hmm. art and design. And so I went back to school in London to get a foundation degree in art and design, which is kind of a, you can see it two ways. Like one, it can be the first year of college, as we would see it here in the States, but it could also be this continuing education degree if you're looking to transition areas. Mm -hmm. And so I did this degree. You went straight from Korea to London. Yes, I went straight from Korea to London. Got I it. actually didn't finish my contract in Korea Got because the, my experience was that it was very homophobic. And from other people's experience, too, I've heard very misogynistic. And so I just it didn't jive with me. It was ready, you were ready to go. Yeah, exactly. So I went to London, studied uh -huh. art and design. Okay. And that was like... <laughs> 
if you're welcome or like so at the way i see it is like in the states like you you're not in imminent danger for being gay or at least in an urban setting or like if you maybe tone it down or <laughs> whatever mm -hmm. but london was just i don't know how to describe it but it was just this playground where everybody and anybody is free to do and be and say and live as they want Mm -hmm. So how did that differ? How did your experience in London differ from your experience in Chicago? So, yeah, I mean, so th I guess what I'm getting around to is that, like, all these experiences have kind of lived on a spectrum. On the one hand, there are these experiences where you're really not welcome to be yourself or to express that, which makes you most uniquely you. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have in these huge metropolitan areas that you're nobody unless you kind of can bring that uniqueness to surface. Explain that. So that was what that was my experience in London, right? And I think that might also be influenced by the fact that I was pursuing fine art, which obviously there's a lot of onus on the artist to really sell themselves and to set themselves apart. But I think also the way that the educational system is structured in the UK lends itself to that. Compared to Chicago and even to Germany, the curriculum that I saw in higher learning institutions was much more lackadaisical. Frankly, there would be certain modules that you'd be working on and the ideas that you come away learning or having expanded your knowledge in a certain area. So when I was in London, I did photography and oftentimes it was self-directed modules. So basically they might give you one or two assignments and then you finish those, but then it's up to you to really kind of expand on that. What you really pulled um, from those assignments that would be valuable mm -hmm. in whatever field that you were going into. So my specialty was photography. And so oftentimes that meant then, okay, they're like, great, how can you take this further? Mm -hmm. And they really put the um, onus on the student to pursue which, that which interests them the most, mm -hmm. which is amazing. But at the same time, I would say that there is a lot that I gained from my education in Germany and in the States. Because it was more direct. Exactly. It was professionals that know what are valuable skill sets in the working market, and so they were able to also lend that expertise. Well, so tease out the difference between between being in the UK and being in an art design field or mm -hmm. major or area and something in a more creative field, as opposed to being in Germany and maybe in Korea and maybe in Chicago in a more training-oriented or scientific field? Is that part mm, of it? I mean, okay. can you, can you just, because it, cause it makes sense. I think, I think, you know, the average person would be like, yeah, design school is going to be encouraging that a lot more yeah. than it's, although I think the trend probably is even in the sciences, there's, they're encouraging entrepreneurship and taking right. the lead in innovation. Mm -hmm. Can you distinguish like how much of it was just the fields versus the cultures that were, you, you know, you were I, living in? I will kind of lend this experience that, so after, <laughs> after London, I came back to Chicago. I threw myself into the next thing. And so after being in Chicago for some time, I actually looked at going back to school in mm -hmm. Berlin. Mm -hmm. So once again, that was a very different perspective at first, having looked at biology in Germany and then looking at pursuing art and photography right. in Berlin. Right. It's interesting because I could definitely tell there was a some sort of rubric or scale with which I was being judged against or my work was being judged against. So yes, the creative fields definitely lend themselves to more experimentation and maybe a broader view of evaluating work. But at the same time, I 
don't really think that that's. I don't think they let it go too far. Like and as that it was in as it was in the UK. And that's what I say. So the, the, it, what you didn't experience that right. kind of having your work assessed against kind of a hard exactly. system as much in the UK. So you do you do attribute that to the education systems being different. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, obviously, this <clears> is like a very limited. No, experience. no, no. It's fine. It's your experience. Yeah, it's your <laughs> experience. experience. No, it's, it's fine. It's my truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your experience. That's fine. But so, so, so let's get back to the gay question a little bit. So can, okay. you, can you distinguish out a little bit how, or tease out a little bit how being gay and being out, and when did you come out? Uh, I was 13. You were 13. <laughs> so you came out th- when you were 13, and how, how has that informed your education choices? I mean, it really at some point is asking right. how it formed your life choices, but yeah. how has it informed your education choices and life choices? Well, it's definitely cut a clearer path for me. Growing up in a city, I definitely am aware of the privileges that I've had, or that I, you know, that I, that I have because I've lived here and grown mm-hmm. up here. Like I've never ne- needed to worry for my safety, or, um, which of course a European and an Asian would <laughs> balk that you're say, sitting in Chicago, which Spike Lee made a film Chirac, and which plenty of people would say has the highest crime rate, the highest shooting rate, and where I know down the block from our homes people are regularly shot. You can explain that a little bit for people for our international listeners. I remember when that movie came out, so many people were asking me about it, and that's just that's not the reality. I mean, that's not the reality for me. It's the, it's the spirit of the times. I think there's a lot of attention being funneled towards the plight of the African American, and it is real. This outside of Chicago, it, well, first of all, Chicago is an insanely segregated city. I've never really seen anything like it anywhere. It's like really kind of sectioned off that like all black people live in certain areas, predominantly on the south side. And then growing up on the west side, which is where Logan Square was, was predominantly Hispanic. So, I mean, my neighbors were Hispanic. Like I go to the grocery store. They had to be speaking Spanish. It's a bit more integrated now because of gentrification. But yeah, for sure. Chicago can be that for some people. Fortunately, it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it would be that for a lot of people that chose to come to chicago mm-hmm. okay so you feel safe here so okay yeah. you just play that all right it seems like you're connecting privilege of being in a city and having the privilege of a western city with gayness or with the experience the choices you made explain they're that. inextricably linked feeling safe is very important you you need to make yourself feel safe <coughs> you need to be in a safe environment in order to thrive the anecdotal evidence that i provided of not feeling safe in korea is in impetus to leave it speaks volumes to kind of how I've approached education as well. It's never been an option to go somewhere more remote, more conservative. It's generally been, I've been generally purposeful about seeking out expansive opportunities. Mm -hmm. But I think also I am not, (laughs) I'm not the kind of person that goes by the book. I don't necessarily think I've also been very mindful or considerate of like, oh, well, like what what do the job prospects look like after this education? Do I want to get this brand name degree from this prestigious university? Like that's never really been me. So that's not the way that I've made those decisions, but more so around an atmosphere and a holistic perspective of like, okay, well, who else is living in the cities? How big are these cities? What amenities do these cities offer? So it sounds like part of what you're looking for, or if I can connect the dots a little bit that I'm hearing, is one of the ways it's impacted your education choices and your life choices has been that you've made the choices of places to go and communities to be in that are safe and accepting. Exactly. That's a, yeah. that's important yeah. to you. And then how about how about the programs and the things you studied or the areas to which you've been attracted? I mean, you, you made some pretty massive 
massive leaps. And I know you're not working in either biology or photography right now. So like, give me a little bit about a handle of how you've been attracted to or not attracted to or whether it's completely irrelevant as to being gay and, the, and how the fields were appealing to you. Well, you know, that's hard to say. What do your parents do? They're, well, my mom's a nurse. Okay. And my dad used to be like a mechanic. Parents are often the role models for kids. You went in completely different directions, yeah. and you continue to go in completely different directions. What? So what attracted you to those things? If it wasn't about gayness, if it has no relationship, that's fine. Yeah. But what attracted you to biology, for example, initially as an undergrad? I was always pretty passionate about animals and just like the world okay. around me. We're sitting in my living room in the island. There's like a ton of plants here. So <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> it's, it's like we're in the I've jungle. Carried on in to adulthood for me. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that was also a projection of my parents expected me to go to med school. Uh-huh. And so, actually, I was in a pre-med program that was actually specifically for Latinos. It was this pro- it was this initiative that was trying to increase the amount of Spanish-speaking healthcare providers in mm. Chicago. So, I'm sure much to their <laughs> chagrin. Actually, that's, that's interesting. So, you overcame that. But that's the thing. The German thing was always definitely 100% my interest. And I just think that maybe is something that I've picked up from... My that is probably maybe something from my parents because you know I I realize now in adulthood it's so difficult to leave your home country and start a family somewhere else and to you know explore those new career and your prospects did that. and even educational yeah my mom had to go back to school to get her nursing degree because it was my um, after my dad had an illness he couldn't return back to, he couldn't return to the workforce so she had to go then find um, other opportunities and so she went back to school. So, I mean, I definitely have a lot of respect for them. And I think having that experience, not so much has to do with, it doesn't, the the one thing, you know, the gay, the way that the gay thing is enforced, um, this decision making is more so around the environment and the space and the people and the society. Mm -hmm. But the actual decisions in themselves, I think, uh, have, I I think that like kind of that travel bug or that that desire to keep learning and to kind of keep moving and expanding horizons is something for my parents that that probably has to do more with being a first-generation American. Hmm. Talk about that. (laughs) What about it? How does that get communicated to you? Or how do you, why do you think that? Uh, I don't know. Well, okay. So one thing I do kind of see is in, in um, my peers that are American who are, you know, (laughs) white as bread. Mm -hmm. They, They have an aversion to risk and to the unknown that I definitely don't have and that I haven't really experienced in my family. Um, My grandmother came to the U.S. as well um, around the same time that my father did. I had this aunt that came here as well. So, But I have an expansive family back in Colombia. So it's been interesting because, you know, obviously they're the ones that have directly shaped my experience of the world and kind of how I see it and because of that I, I just don't think I see it as as risky mm-hmm. yeah so that connects I often say that part of the reason I mean I uh, I'm, I guess I'm third generation American from Central Europe but I often ha- I've looked back and wondered why I have I've moved a lot as well uh-huh. and I look at why I have and I often tell the story that part of the mo- motivation for me to move was looking for somewhere better (laughs) and it wasn't necessarily looking for a place where i was going to get richer or i was going to but it was somewhere that kind of had its act together societally Mm, better yeah which is what uh definitely have made drew me to what i at the time viewed as europe was Mm -hmm. and france in particular Mm -hmm. and paris 
And although I'd lived in several other places in Europe, but I, I connected in my head, I've connected that a little bit with gayness, right? I th- I've connected yeah. that a little bit with there was a shortage in the U.S. generally. Mm-hmm. Forget about Chicago or mm-hmm. Illinois. It was the U.S. generally. And I was, you know, looking for what I thought were more progressive values mm. and more acceptance of that, yeah. tying it in. But it, but what I've, and I think, I, I tell that story, but it's also, I think there's something else. And it's interesting to hear you say that being the child of an immigrant is maybe the thing that kind of created your travel lust mm-hmm. and your desire to kind of keep learning and not just keep learning in a single career path but in a wide variety of fields do you think that happened because your parents directly inculcated that in you or do you think that was a thing that maybe they did in indirectly through how they lived Hmm. Mm, i've never thought about that (laughs) this is like a therapy session (laughs) well you don't have to to think of it that way no (laughs) no 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 it's just like it's a very obviously it's a very um it's a question that does evoke a lot of introspection and yeah, it's, it's so it's hard to say. I, I, my parents were definitely very supportive of all the decisions that I made um, when it came to education and traveling. I don't know that they were ever so explicitly positive or influential, mm-hmm. but they were they were fine with it. And I think by them being open about it, it always made made me feel like, oh, okay, well, worst case scenario, if it doesn't work out, I'll always have a place to come back to and <laughs> inevitably that's always what happened. <laughs> well, that, okay. Since I could never like figure out any one <laughs> option and stick to it. Well, that's good. <laughs> so let's talk about the future a little bit. Yeah, let's shift sure. gears and talk about the future. Yeah, so yeah, tell yeah. me a little bit about like, what are, what, what are you, what are your plans? What are you hoping for? Oh, what okay. do you like? What is your next, what's your next uh, learning adventure? Yeah. Knowing that I do have such a varied experience and that in some weird way, all of these, uh, seemingly separate fields and areas and experience have actually kind of come together. So I currently work in communications. Then I've, I've been working in communications for the last several years. Because of my work in communications, I am able to incorporate the knowledge of visual aesthetics and design and content. I feel like I've made some great strides in communication, just having had to communicate with South Korean kids that don't speak English very well or mm-hmm. learning a another language you know myself german so i think all the areas have come together and i think i've really found something that i'm quite passionate about communications is such a broad term but there's really so much you can do with it so i'm currently working on a project with a friend to actually launch a retail product hopefully the next four to six weeks Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of marketing that's involved with that a lot of strategizing around who the target audience is how we're going to reach them and writing effective copy as well. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, it's all coming together. And mm-hmm. I definitely see this as something that I can expand on and that actually, uh, you know, it's hard to say maybe this is just me being an adult now and actually yeah. like being able to focus on something for an extended sure, period sure, of sure. time. Uh, but now I really feel like this is something I can, um, you know, I can I can take this and work with. So that. is the product a secret or have you launched or can no, people know? No. Do you want to draw people to a website? No, we can't yet. If we want to uh, pitch, not we live can pitch. Yet, okay, okay. Drive all right. No. So where can they? All right. So all right. All right. So but it is a secret. Thing, it's still a secret <laughs> product. <laughs> not too secret. I mean, I think I've mentioned, you know, my love for plants and biology. Um, but got I recently it. got into, I don't know if alternative medicine is the right way to describe this, but I started taking an herbal supplement a couple of months ago, or actually at this point, it's been about a year and a half. 
I was having some difficulty sleeping, having some anxiety, and actually I was turned on to ashwagandha, which is this root. And of all the herbs in Ayurveda, which is a traditional medicine thousand years old or thousands of years old, this particular herb has a huge amount of studies and it's a growing body of evidence that says it's great for any number of things mm -hmm. related to stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So they've looked at infertility in women. They've looked at muscle recovery in men. So the products along those lines. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's uh, it's this root powder. Got it. Okay. Going forward, I definitely, you know, I, my background has largely been in nonprofit work or mission-based organizations. I've worked in mental health, HIV. Um, I'm currently working at a diabetes association. But the idea is to, now that I'm kind of stepping out into the for-profit realm, I'm really interested in seeing how how I can effectively communicate, not just from a sales perspective, but also like from a perspective with heart. I think you've, maybe you've heard of this growing trend of, they're, they're not for profit. It's like, you know, there's for profit, but then there's like for purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, so for purpose organizations and companies. And so I definitely feel like that's in line with my values and something that I could definitely explore. Mm -hmm. So the idea would be to, and actually I haven't even really kind of, figured out it's just an idea at this point would. no well because the thing is like uh, education now is so different from what it was when even i first was in school so now there are so many online modules you can do there's you know self-regulated modules i don't know if i would want to do masters in integrated marketing and communications that mm -hmm. would be an option but it is so steep now <laughs> the expense yeah the expense and integrated marketing and communications it's interesting because Going back to you know our earlier discussion about different educations in different areas, yeah, you can find those programs in the UK or abroad, but it just doesn't mean the same as what it means here. I remember when I was looking at going back to school in Berlin, I wanted to go into graphic design and photography, but I just really wasn't seeing the programs that I saw here that I really liked. And staying here didn't really appeal to me because it was so much more expensive than it would have been to study in Germany. By a factor of 10. Yeah. Yeah. Least. Well, actually, so because I'm fluent in German and I took an exam that placed me proficiently in German, I would have been able to go for free. So, but at the same time, I wouldn't have been able to work or had the same financial flexibility that I have here as an American. And Once you had gotten the exactly. degree. Yeah. And the degree wasn't necessarily transferable internationally. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll talk about that a little bit. I have my MBA and when, and I probably went to MBA school thinking I was going to be getting a degree that was universally applicable to running something. Mm -hmm. And what I perhaps was naive going into it thinking, I didn't realize how much it was It was targeted. And I had a few friends joke about this, that, for example, Wharton, I was at the University of Chicago, one mm -hmm. of those fancy degrees from a fancy university. But I had a friend who actually went to Wharton, and he used to joke about how people come out of MBA at Wharton, at Penn, and all they are is kind of corporate tools who are going to work in-house at a large corporation and they're never going to be entrepreneurial yeah. and never going to be innovative. Yeah. And I think that might be changing. There are a million different education models, as you say. What is your experience of what you're seeing people be successful at now? Are you seeing people be successful with micro-credentials and online programs that are yeah. unrelated to universities? And do you feel that in terms of what you think you want for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think, frankly, 
when I had graduated, it was not a good time to get a job. So, I mean, that was something. Yeah, what year did you graduate? I think 2012. Oh, yeah, so right in the middle of the Great yeah, Recession. Yeah, 2012. Middle of the Great Recession. I think the, well, the crash was like 2008. 2009, right? yeah, or yeah, whatever, 2008, 2009. So, yeah, 2012, I finished, and, I was, and I think that's one of the reasons why the prospects weren't that great, and I had to go to Korea. Yep. That is definitely something people wanted. They wanted the experience, and they wanted the degree, and they were not budging on that. And I'm finding now that the experience is what really counts. And they're not really interested in how you got that experience as long as you have it. So now the world is my oyster. I don't have to go pay $100,000 for a degree if I can find an alternative, such as starting my own company. And getting trained through YouTube videos or whatever else you need to get the job done. Yeah, yeah. I work directly um, and very closely with a lot of social media initiatives. And that is something that's changed exponentially. I was... <laughs> the third generation of Facebook. So when they first started Facebook, it was you know, it was Harvard, right? And then they expanded it to all colleges. And then the third generation was high schools. And I remember being on Facebook in high school. So I've definitely seen the evolution of social media and it's become its own beast now. And there are so many opportunities there. I'm moving toward the, the end. So I don't want to keep you too long. But talk a little bit about what you would say to a young person today about the value of international experiences, studying, mm. traveling, maybe more than just touring, because mm -hmm. it sounds like you definitely have value, you value something more than just touring. But talk about the value of kind of those travels and, and, and what, it would, what, what it does for a person and how it helps even somebody yeah. who's young today. Well, you know, it's interesting you say kind of not from the perspective of touring because I think it, it, <laughs> I think it ultimately is that for a lot of people. And that's totally fine. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and frankly, I just don't know that there's anything that I could have really fed myself when I was younger that would have been of much value because I was set in my ways and I really was looking at kind of exploring and touring, but but always kind of wall tying it to something that is of inherent value to me or interest. One thing, the biggest case for studying abroad is, one, I think it teaches you volumes on self-confidence, like the fact that it, things aren't that scary and frankly... You can achieve a lot more if you just put your mind to it. And even if you try and you it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to, it makes you much more resilient, I think, to the ebbs and flow of life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. There's like this other part, too, that is a bit bittersweet because there are definitely amazing love stories that I've had in all of the places where I've gone. And it's a little sad because you actually have to leave a little bit of your heart whenever you leave a place but you have no choice but to grow from that whenever you're constantly changing and and there's value in that over the long term in life yeah i mean nobody does well being where they are with the same people so i end every episode with i end every episode with a recommendation from my guest so it's give me a recommendation of any kind oh, anything you gosh. want to recommend we've had in the past we've had people recommend spending time with old people to okay. uh traveling to certain places to reading certain books seeing a movie something they're doing right now that they value eating a certain food yeah. so uh i usually end with one little recommendation what's your what's your recommendation well, you know, I think I mentioned it a few times on this podcast, but I definitely take pride in being a lifelong learner. We used to have an economy that was based on skill sets. So you learn a skill and then you, you improve at that, you get better, and then that leads to more financial gain, like in a factory or, I don't know, whatever. Now we're such a knowledge-based economy, and frankly, fields are changing so quickly. Technology is changing so quickly. The people that are adaptive and are good at learning and are active learners, the sky's the limit for them. Great. So I think learn. Cool. Learn. However you learn. Book, podcast, 
Listen, life, do, do it. Do it. Just cool. do it. Well, Dolfo, thanks for doing this. This is great. <laughs> so happy to have done it with you. It's My first good. podcast. Since it sounds like you're going to be launching your, your business pretty soon, we'll yeah. have, definitely have to have you back and get some uh, promotion. <laughs> or you can actually, you can actually you know, buy ad time and yeah. promote, your, oh, exactly. and promote yeah. on the you podcast. Can be my influencer. There we go. That's what I want to hear. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye, Joe. I want to thank my guests. Thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank Mary Heinz for doing the editing, Ted Enley for doing the music that starts and ends the podcast. And I'd like to thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for the podcast, I am just getting going and would love to hear feedback from you. If you would like to reach out to me, I'm easily available on Twitter, on the website, secondrail.com. And you can certainly email me as well at johnheinz at gmail.com. I hope you will join me again in a fortnight for more conversation about education and where it's going.